This episode of The Fearless Storyteller is brought to you by... Well, this could be sponsored by you. Visit patreon.com forward slash Ethan Freckleton to find the membership option that works for you. Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. What's my story? In 2007, I was divorced, in debt, stuck in a soul-sucking job, desperate to have a meaningful, fulfilling life, but not sure where to begin. I made a simple choice at the time, to start honoring my yes and to start speaking my no. Consequences be damned. After all, how could my life possibly get any worse? I began the long path of becoming a professional songwriter finding my fearless voice along the way. Now, I'm living my dream life as a husband, father, and professional storyteller. Lucas Hassel is an actor-slash-writer based in New York City. He's appeared in feature films and network TV shows such as Blue Bloods, Limitless, The Blacklist, and Elementary. Though Lucas makes a living with acting, He's turned to screenwriting as a way to reclaim power and control over his career. Drawn to well-told stories with a strong point of view, he's been diligently mastering the craft so that he can tell stories that make people want to lean across the table. The hard work and persistence are paying dividends with film deals. Learn why screenwriting competitions and film festivals have been critical parts of Lucas's strategy to take his career to the next level. Well, Lucas Hassel, welcome to The Fearless Storyteller. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and for people who may not know who you are, um, what would you like to say about yourself? <laughs> you, you laugh. Well, I laugh because it's, um, I was at a writer's retreat at one point and we talked about how you really should answer that question because what people tend to go to straight away is, oh, I do this, this is my job, and this is where I'm <laughs> from, and this is where I was born. And this particular person encouraged us to say something like, oh, I'm a person who likes to take chances, and I'm, mm. you know, I'm someone who looks to the other side of, of uh, the regular day-to-day life. Just come up with some kind of answer that's not the sort of rote, rote situation. But in this case, because people have no idea who I am, let me just help a little bit <laughs> by saying that I am, in fact, uh, primarily an actor. I'm a writer, filmmaker also. Uh, born and raised in Denmark, mm-hmm. uh, North Copenhagen. Left there at 19, went to Dublin, Ireland. I got into Trinity College in the acting um, course there. Mm. Became an actor out of Trinity, worked in theater in Ireland for a long time and then moved to New York in 96 where I've been ever since and subsequently um, been through all the visas, green card, and now I'm a, I'm a voting citizen of the U.S. So. Wow. Well, yes. that's, that's quite a journey. So why, act, why acting? Well, acting, I think it's one of those things that like I had, I had a teacher in school that 
uh, was very into making us get up on stage. My school had like a sort of uh, theater of sorts uh, with, a, you know, the red curtains and all that stuff, uh, velvet curtains. And so we would put up little plays and I was always, I guess, good at it. And then, mm-hmm. as you know, if you're good at something, people praise you as a kid, you sort of gravitate towards that. So it was always in my awareness that that was something that I was good at. Mm. And I certainly wasn't shy about that kind of stuff. And um, sort of one thing led to another. I went to uh, high school in the U.S. as an exchange student. I got the lead in that high school play. And I went back to Denmark, finished my education there. And then somebody saw me in a local amateur production who was a well-known writer in Denmark. And she said, I think you should become a professional actor. And I was like, well, okay, yeah. Let me look into that. And so I started taking some private classes and then I applied to Trinity College because my Mm -hmm. um, dad had a company in Ireland at that time. Mm -hmm. I got in and I didn't have the guts to turn it down uh, in case I never got into London or other schools elsewhere. So I flew to Dublin and started that course. And so really the choice was sort of made for me. I hadn't really actively decided to become an actor. Mm. I just sort of, I just went with what the universe gave me at the time. Yeah, sounds like inertia. inertia. Yeah, you know, here I am many, many years later. Uh, I never regretted that choice, but, it, you know, it's it's certainly not a road for, for everyone, that's for sure. Yeah, well, well why not? <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, you, whatever you see on TV and in the films, that's the success story, right? Those people have made it, certainly. Mm. And there's a whole bunch of actors like myself who can make a living off it, but you're not a celebrity. You don't, you know, get the Malibu house. You you don't get all of that. And it's it's a constant battle to reject what society tells you success is, which is getting that house and mm. getting getting those cars and getting those things. And, you know, when you go into this business, you really have to know why you're doing it and give up the notions of, you're certainly not doing it for the money or for the fame. You've got to do it because you love it and because you kind of have to. So, you know, it's, it's all good and well when you're in your twenties and your friends are like, good for you. And then when you hit your thirties and forties and they still haven't seen you as the lead of the new, you know, Indiana Jones movie, then you sort of still have to stick by your guns and, and sort of deal with the fact that, that what you had envisioned as successful may not materialize and you still have to be good with that. It's part of, part of the journey. Mm. So what is it about the journey that, um, that appeals to you even today? It's, it's hard to really pinpoint and i will say my enjoyment of these things have changed which is why when i introduced myself earlier i said also writer and director i Mm -hmm. used to be very content acting in other people's pieces and and collaborate with fabulous interesting people um and then create this thing that that you know has has married in in the moment and then you sort of leave it, particularly with theater, you finish it and then it's gone and then you move on to the next thing. And, but the older I got, the more I became aware of the fact that I did not enjoy not being in control as much of my Mm. choices. As an actor, I go into a a casting office and I do my best and I cross my fingers when I walk out and it's out of my control. And that gets old, the older I get. So writing was that first attempt at sort of reclaiming some of that power. So that, gave me a Mm. lot of satisfaction. So I would say that I get less satisfaction from acting now than I used to uh, in order to sort of address your question. 
and writing has given me a lot more. And then the real, you know, control and power comes from then directing what I write. Mm. Um, and so that's where I find myself now is basically an actor who loves being a writer who really wants to be a filmmaker. <laughs> These are practical steps. <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, I mean, they're very connected. And I've cast myself in the, in the couple of short films I've made mainly because I know I'm a good actor and I, I know what I can do. So it's actually one less person to worry about. Um, but, you know, and I, I still love being in people's projects when I can feel they have a vision and they have something they're really going for. It's just so much of the time, mm. the projects are not necessarily, a lot of people are in this business because they feel like, oh, you know, I want to make a film. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the Q&A, somebody asked them, you know, why did you make your film? And, and sometimes the answer literally is, oh, well, I just wanted to make a film. Mm -hmm. And that is generally what I consider the problem with, with a lot of films out there is most people don't really know why they're doing it. And to me, I just, I, I think I just need more out of it than that. I, mm. You know, for me, it really works when people have a strong point of view and something they really want to say. And then you can go about it in a million different ways. But those are the people that I would like to work with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I imagine over the years of reading scripts and trying out and doing this work, you probably get a pretty good eye for stories that have that strong point of view. So what have you, what have you learned about, about that? Like, how do you tell, how do you make sure your story has a strong point of view? Well, you know, people sometimes ask me that sort of in terms of what inspired your story or why are you making these things? And I, I basically um, sort of when I thought about it more, if you have that dinner with friends or whatever, and some subject comes up and it's one of those subjects that before you know it, you can just feel your gut engaging and you lean in a little further and your voice level goes up a little bit and you're sort of, you get, you get really vested in this particular subject over dinner table and you almost have to catch yourself mm -hmm, mm -hmm. chill out, cool down. That's what you should write to because you got to figure out what it is that drives you as a person. So I think the more you know yourself as a human being, the better off you are as an artist. And, you know, we all have our own sort of causes in life, uh, in, in, in lack of a better word, but things that really gets us going in one thing or another, whether it's injustice or whether it's whatever it is. Right. If there's something that really speaks to you that where you can tell that you're sensitive when people talk about it, it makes you angry or it makes you upset or it makes you really thrilled or whatever, whatever, write to that, figure out then how and what genre serves best to get your point across about that thing that you feel strongly about. Mm. Sort of, that's sort of generally, I mean, that's a very sort of <laughs> vague and roundabout answer to, to that question, but it's a complicated question. So it, it, in essence, you have to sort of write to what means something to you. And then right. you can build it up in any genre with any type of characters, as long as they are the best choice to support what it is you're trying to say. Mm. Well, that can take some time to, to find For sure. Find Ab that. Absolutely, for sure. I mean, some, some people luck into it when they're young. And they have that, you know, I see, you know, I see kids now coming out transgender at age 14. I'm like, holy crap, I would never have had the guts to do anything of that sort mm. at that age back in my day. Mm -hmm. And I see that and they have that. So good for them. For other people, you know, it takes much, much longer to, 
to find themselves and find what matter. And sometimes people never find it. I think the majority of people never find it because mm. they just don't ask those questions of themselves. Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes the answers can alienate you if your truth is different from your surroundings. Right. But I don't even, it doesn't even have to be trans or gay or whatever. It can be a million yeah. other things, but basically what drives you, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of people just, they aren't comfortable uh, asking those questions. I remember, um, I, I'm rambling here, but I remember I bought this book called something about, it was called like something about me. I think the title was or something. And it's basically a book that you have to fill out mm. full of questions about, you know, what do you love about your mother? Uh, when were you best in high school? But a bunch of whole different questions over whole different things. And one chapter was about the future. And that was this question like, what will replace the computer? All those hypotheticals. One of the questions was, what year will you die? Hmm. I remember thinking, this is really, really interesting. Uh, let me think about it. I was born here. Let's say I live for this and this and this. I put down a year. And that evening at dinner, I brought it up uh, with a bunch of friends because I thought it was, it was interesting how I even got caught up like, oh, wow, that's, that's odd to even think about that. Hmm. And people around the dinner table did not want to discuss it. <laughs> and it shocked me. I remember being shocked that like, how can you stick your head in the sand about something that is as natural, you know, uh, mm -hmm. in life as death is? I mean, that is so bizarre to me. And then, of course, you know, the older I get, I see that happens all the time with many things. Yeah. Not, just, not just something as unpleasant as your eventual demise, but it was just amazing to me that these very smart people that I knew well and cared for just couldn't even bring themselves to put up a hypothetical number. Yeah, like, you're just I don't know when I will die, when anybody else will die, but I, I'm certainly comfortable putting up a hypothetical number because it means nothing. Mm. Have you explored that yet in the story? I have not, but it's definitely something that lingers. I mean, I, I have. I'm definitely attracted to the, sort of the dark side of life and the questions that people are not comfortable asking for sure. Mm. That permeates my writing overall, but the exact notion of sort of death per se and uh, people having a hesitancy to put a year on it. I have not done that. I have a, I have a script called girls on the run where the three protagonists, the three women in there in their mid eighties, mm -hmm. basically a, a take on, on coming to terms with your end of life and what you do with yourself. And so there are elements of that, that I've touched on, but that's, yeah. that's fun. And, and so what are you most excited about right now? excited about well i'm excited about many things that's a that's a really that's a really <laughs> general answer a question uh i'm excited i mean generally i'm excited about life i'm excited about every day i wake up but in terms of sort of you know what drives me obviously um career is very much uh present always mm. for me and so what excites me are the prospects of of the good jobs that i hopefully will be able to to pull off um i have a uh, horror feature screenplay I wrote called Silhouette that was optioned by um, two women who have started a production company and they're, they've okayed me to direct it. We're meant to do it this fall. It's going to happen in the spring, hopefully. Mm -hmm. That excites me, the notion of, of uh, making my first feature as a director. Um, I have another drama script that's been getting a lot of attention. It was just on Coverfly, which is a big app for sort of scripts and screenwriters. They put out a notice yesterday on Twitter about my drama script, sort of totally out of the blue, which was lovely. 
and several producers have reached out because of that. And I would just love to do that script. That would be my number one choice of trying to create this script called Halfway and make mm. that film. But um, so that excites me. Those, those prospects, there's always having prospects of something worthwhile happening in terms of what I've put my life to. Yeah, it, it sounds like the journey is important to you. Definitely, definitely. I'm also just excited about having dinner with my husband on the roof of our terrace tonight. Yeah, that's that is an exciting. It's also, the, it's also the immediate things that make me excited. Uh, rooftop dining sounds pretty stellar right now. It's pretty amazing in this city. We have a we have a um, we're on a sort of fifth floor walk up really, which of course to Europeans is no big deal, but mm-hmm. to Americans is a big deal. So um, so we have this lovely apartment in Chelsea, here in New York, and there's a terrace on top. So we use that all the time in the summer. It's been very handy in this particular era as well. So that we, yeah. We're outside, but not amongst uh, too many people. Right. So I want to ask about this, um, more about this exploring story competitions and and writing for others' approval. Like, Mm -hmm. what, what is that process like? Well, I mean, in terms of, you know, my short film, The Son, The Father, you know, I wrote this short script um, that was very different to anything else I'd read. I, I didn't know if it was going to work. I knew it read well on the page, mm. but I never knew if it was going to work as a film because it's sort of twist upon a twist upon a twist and there's a jump in time and there's like... Um, anyway, but I liked the script. I knew it was going to read well. So I submitted it to a few competitions and one of which was like um, the Holly Shorts Film Festival out in LA because the winning script, as it turns out, was going to get a production deal and get this film made. Mm. Um of course, when you submit these things, you, the chances of, of winning are super small and you have to be extremely lucky to sort of get through the eye of the needle um, and whatever. As it turns out, well, I got, this script got picked uh, that particular year. And so this company up in, in Seattle, um, basically led by uh, Ben Andrews and Lorraine Montez mm. uh, and a few other people, they um, they basically offered to then produce this script in connection with, with Holly Shorts. And the whole point was to show that up in Seattle, there is a vast pool of talent, both in front and behind the camera, and to show like a viable option to shooting films in LA. Right. And so this crew in, in Seattle basically came on board and, you know, I storyboarded the whole thing. They found me the crew, they found me the locations. I did casting via Skype. Uh, with local actors and flew in four days before shooting and met my assistant director, my DP and my uh, set designer and went around to the locations. I rehearsed with the actors and then we shot for uh, three days with a crew I'd never met, a crew of like 30, 40 people I'd never met. Mm. And, um, and the son, the father came out of that. So, you know, that's sort of whether people, you know, whether it's your type of film or not, um, that's to me is is an incredibly fortunate success success story basically from having a script to having it produced with a great of a gang of great people and then putting it out there so that's sort of the best of cases when you talk about competitions and, mm. and writing for other people's approvals uh god knows there are many other <laughs> competitions and and uh festivals that will not take your your writing and your rejected um so you know this was like a good story Right. And I guess there's, you know, there's, I'm in the author and songwriter worlds. And, you know, so when, you know, it's one thing to do competitions, and it's another to submit yourself to um, feedback and criticism. And so 
So right. what are you what are you doing around that process, and is that difficult for you? You know, it used to be before before I had much sort of self confidence. Um, I, I would be the type that would be like, oh, I don't want to share my work because what if it gets stolen or, and listen, mm -hmm. we all want to send something out and get, you know, stellar reviews back and have everybody say, it's amazing. Don't change a word. It's brilliant. Um, mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is that now I, I welcome feedback, right? Because now I'm also, now I'm able to quickly discern what type of feedbacker uh, the this person would be right because you have the two types really the type that want to take your work and change it to make it into something that they would love mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. opposed to you know i can read your script and absolutely hate it but i can still give you notes as to how you can make that script better the way you want it and that's the type of feedback that's helpful right yes and so it takes a while to figure out. In the beginning, you just take all notes and you're, you, everything comes in. You're like, oh my God, everything has worth. But, and everything does have worth to a certain extent. But it's basically you have to figure out what serves your purpose and what does not. And so I've become a lot better at that, at figuring out um, what feedback is useful. Mm -hmm. I've just learned that like getting feedback from incredibly smart people, it's, it's basically about who you ask feedback from, right? Yeah. So just be a little careful about who you ask feedback from and don't always just count on your best friend, your mom and your brother, because they're not necessarily um, very knowledgeable about how structure works or right. you know, what's happening with the protagonist and where's plot point one at the end of act one, whatever, whatever. Um, they have worth in their own way because if they're bored by your story, well, that's something you should listen to hypothetically. But uh, in terms of just getting quality feedback, you build up your network of people mm -hmm. and you const I constantly substitute sort of, you know, readers. And I have, I have a bunch of writer friends or artists that I feel would be a good sort of second draft bunch that could read a second draft where it doesn't have to be perfect yet. I don't have to prove much there. Mm -hmm. They're sort of at that level, very helpful. And then I have some higher quality writers who I would give, you know, a 10th draft to, and then I have sort of the very select few I would give the final draft to, because they're probably the people that I want to impress the most who could potentially help my script if they liked it and so forth. So it's a constant sort of balance of figuring out who to give your script to and what type of feedback you're looking for. The early stages, you just want general feedback. Is it working at all? Is there anything that doesn't make sense? And then the more you get into it, it becomes more about, well, does this character's art make any sense to you? And I'm looking to see if it resonates in act three, what happened here and do it. You can come up with much more specific questions, the higher the caliber of the person mm -hmm. you've asked to give feedback, so. Yeah, and so it doesn't sound like there's a lot of room for instant gratification in that process. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not looking for pats on my back. I'm looking to create the best possible, uh, in this case, script uh, that I can, right? I mean, yeah. instant gratification is standing in line at Starbucks and someone saying, oh my God, you're so handsome. I'm like, great, thank you. That's beautiful. I love it. But, you know, it's, yeah. it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. It had nothing to do with me where, you know, the amount of work I put into my writing and so forth. Yeah, you want good people to uh, appreciate what you've done. Sure. Yeah, like, hey, I saw your thematic argument stated clearly in Act One. Well done, and the contrasting view, like, <laughs> right, 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 or, or just that I, you know, or that I lost. I want, I want to hear that in in the line in Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's not, that's not very likely. But yeah, exactly. That would be good. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. Maybe yeah, in, you know, maybe yeah. in Hollywood and and New York yeah. in certain yeah. circles. And you you absolutely you never know. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So. So I assume like a lot of the things you're talking about kind of fall under the umbrella of process and craft, right? And right. getting increasing levels of discernment as you mm-hmm. advance in your journey. And, and, and part of that process, I imagine, is finding peers and mentors, right? That can help take you Absolutely. to the next level. Mm-hmm. And so like, who are like either specifically or generally like where are you looking to for to find your growth and find that mentorship well so this is where film festivals and competitions come in and just to be clear i'm talking mainly about sort of writing and filmmaking now because as an actor i've done that all my life and i sort Mm -hmm. of know i know what the deal is there and i'm not looking for any type of feedback or anything it's basically whether you're lucky enough to get the right casting and whether or not the director producer likes what you do. So that's really sort of, so the whole acting thing is separate to what we're talking about now. What I'm talking about really is sort of writing and potentially filmmaking. And in that case, you do have a lot of avenues and sort of building up your, your network, right? Once you start submitting to, you know, once you start submitting to film festivals, that's really the purpose of that mainly. And I'm not talking the big ones, Sundance and, and Trebek and so forth. I'm talking about just the regular film festivals mm-hmm. level. Um, what you build up there is um, a, a network of other crazy people who are doing the same thing as you do. Mm-hmm. Once you go out to these festivals, you may hypothetically win for best drama, screenplay or whatever. Whatever you go out there, you meet other people, you start exchanging scripts with the people that you click with. Very quickly, you see what works and what doesn't work. You know, most of the time I've learned more from reading other scripts than getting notes on my own because mm-hmm. sometimes your own work is so close to your face, it's hard to step back and and sort of see. You can get, you know, notes about structure and typos and all kinds of things. But in general, I learn more from having watched, from having read other people's work and I can immediately see what they're doing right and wrong. Um, and so then you start figuring out, well, okay, so this and this and this person, I'm not necessarily interested in exchanging scripts with, but this person, I would love to sort of connect with this person more. And then you try to build up that network. And before you know it, you have a pool of sort of indie writers whose work you really enjoy and like. Hmm. And then the next step up from that are the bigger competitions. You have the Nichols Fellowship, you have the Cinestory Fellowship, you have all these big break you have all these different screen craft and, and script pipeline you have sort of top 10 of the of the bigger screen competitions and if you're lucky enough to win one of those you are going to get access to people that can make things happen if they you know dig mm-hmm. your work or if they choose to and i happen to be the fortunate enough to win the Cinestory fellowship back um, a few years ago and i'm i got two incredible mentors um uh, both of them, as it turns out, are, are, are one of them is a writer, one is a producer in LA, and they've just been incredibly helpful in sort of putting me in touch with other people. One thing leads to another. Um, a script that was top 30 at Nichols, which is the biggest screenwriting competition in the US for those of you who don't know that. Mm. So it's, it's done by the Academy Awards. It's like the highest... Uh, if, if you win that, you have a career in writing, in, in, in other words. Mm. 
uh, I had a script there that did really well and got optioned by a guy in LA and that has led to other things and we've been trying to get that made. And, and so it's just a matter of constantly figuring out, you know, who is a good fit for you personally and who is better than you as a writer or as a filmmaker and you want to surround yourself with those people. So mm. I feel I've been very fortunate in having people sort of believe in what I do and then, you know, take me under their wing somewhat and introduce me to other people that are brilliant. And, you know, I, I never thought of myself as a good collaborator. I'm always like that guy in the corner of Starbucks with my earphones on writing by myself. I enjoy that process. Mm. But I went out to, had a, I wrote my first pilot that became a finalist at, um, at a big fellowship out in, in LA and I went out there and they had mock writer's rooms, which before that I had no interest in being in a writer's room on a TV show or something. But in these mock writer's rooms, I realized that if you're with really smart people, it is a joy. It mm. is so fun to bounce idea off others. And it's basically, you know, if you don't surround yourself with, with people that are better than you, well then how are you ever going to grow? So, you know, sometimes it's about sucking up your own sort of insecurities and, and pride and just going for it and, and be humble and then try to learn from, from these folks and constantly improve. Mm. You know? yeah. And, yeah. And so it sounds like a, an awfully difficult path to take if you don't like people. <laughs> it, I would say, I would say, I would say it is. I mean, you can, you can, well, the, the thing about a writer is you, you don't have to really spend time with people. You can send them the material mm-hmm. and email back and forth. So you can avoid, you know, people in sort of direct contact if that's your issue. Um, but you definitely, you definitely need feedback on your work. You know, I yeah. can tell, I can tell a novice writer and probably not a very good writer from the people who are like not sharing their scripts. They, they put a posting on Facebook. I finished my draft, probably the first draft and I'm excited. I'm sending it out. I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Mm-hmm. You know, why have you shown this to anyone? I mean, and uh, you know, I get it that you, I finish something and I think, oh, it's brilliant, but I just know it isn't. So, right. uh, you know, that you can always tell the insecure and not terribly good writers from the fact that they don't like to share their work with others. Right. And it's not that they can't become that it's, it's kind of where they're at in their journey. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But, but my, but my point is that they're not going, they're not going to, you're not going to get better if you don't risk, you know, negative feedback. Yeah. And I imagine that's, that's hard because you were talking about your path, right? And early on is kind of the most difficult part because you don't have those connections and you don't have your own internal Right. discernment of what good feedback even should look like. Right? Exactly. Right. exactly. So it's, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy at all, but I'm saying it's necessary. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's something, I mean, age obviously helps, uh, experience helps somewhat, but I, I just know for a fact you will not get better if you don't share your work. That's, that's the bottom line. Hmm. And, and you just have to figure out who to share it with is all. And so is this something you can replicate this, this path and this process regardless of where you live? As you mentioned going to Seattle and, you know, there are people there who are organizing to make a case for, right, being a good Hollywood alternative on the West Coast, right? Like, Yeah, I mean... How, it's like, that, how do you find fair. that? Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, as a writer, it's incredibly... Uh, it, it would be disingenuous to say that, that you can do that from anywhere because of course, yes, you can sit anywhere and write. 
if you're a writer that would like to be hired for a writer's room uh, mm. or to get your script picked up um, by producers in LA, I mean, you really have to probably live in LA. I mean, yeah, you can you can luck out, but the, the the problem is a lot of these times you have to go into pitch meetings. Of course, now in the days of COVID, you know, Zoom has exploded. So who knows if that changes everything now? The mm. companies are much better at just doing a Zoom meeting. In which case, yeah, you can be in Boise, Idaho, and make it happen. But in general, a lot of that stuff, all the people I know in in the business tells me that as a writer. LA is the place to be at the least New York, but really uh, LA. As an actor, you can be other places. I mean, you still want to be in the big cities, most likely. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, it's just in terms of the meetings that you're gonna that you're gonna have as a writer. You, you know, LA is the place to be. You can do it in New York somewhat as well. And as I said with Zoom, who knows? Everything is changing. Right. But for acting, I mean, you can do self tapes anywhere. And then at some point, you are gonna have to fly out to. LA or Atlanta or New York and meet with the with the director if, if they like you enough from your self tape. So, you know, it depends on how sick you become of traveling out for every little potential <laughs> fallback. And if you don't get it, how quickly does that get old? Yeah. 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 It gets old pretty quickly. And I know I, a lot I of imagine, yeah. of jaded people and others who are still trying. Yeah. I live in Washington State as well. So oh, I'm okay. well acquainted with, you know being a little bit outside of the it, it, one of the things but, you met but then but then you get to live in a beautiful state and i oh, yeah. one of the festivals i've gone to a good few times is a favorite sort of a smaller film festival is mount rainier film festival and it's just mm. uh, you come out there from new york and it's just i mean amazing amazing i would go i would take a day off from the films and go hiking up mount rainier or whatever and go down might St. mount st helen and it's just stunning so you know, something with something. You have clean air and lovely nature. And I'm in New York where, you know, the air is less clean, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. easier access to uh, a lot of artists, potentially. Who knows? I'm not sure what the deal is. Yeah. And I, I talk to a lot of different types of storytellers and writing. So some things, there's a lot less expense involved in the chain of create taking something from the written form into a product and finding right. an audience, right? Like, right books and songs have a lower expense profile but you were talking about needing 30 to 40 people to make a short film right right, right. well <laughs> but it's also i mean but it also comes back to what your expectations are right because mm. so you mentioned a, a book and you can you know you can you can write that in your in your cabin somewhere but at the end of the day, you know, anyone can self-publish now. So it becomes, how do you get it known? How do you get it out there? So the mm. PR part of it becomes impossible. You know, mm. anyone, anyone can print your book and have 200 copies on your shelf. The problem is, can you get anybody to read it? And the same thing really goes for filmmaking. I mean, anyone can make a film. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, how do you get it noticed? It'll drown in the market of films or if you're writing a book in the, in the market of books, if, if you don't have the right people connected to it. And so right. that's why all this networking becomes important. Right. And, you know, and there's also, you have to understand how to monetize it, right. In a way that you get a return if that's a goal. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, good luck with monetizing a self-published book or any short film. I mean, it's, it's, well, you, you'd have to listen to my podcast. I have a lot of six and seven figure 
self-published authors. Oh, really? Wow. Cool. Yeah. Okay. But, that's good. <laughs> I don't mean I don't say that to, to brag. There's there's no, there's, no, no, no. there's ways sometimes, right. but you have to. It's the same thing, right? You have to educate, and there's a craft, and it's not easy. You have to learn an entirely different skill from the writing itself. Right, and sort of self self marketing, I suppose. Right, and so however you do it, you have to create this cluster, these mega clusters of knowledge and competency, right? And that's what <laughs> that's what like Los Angeles and Hollywood and these other places give you, right? Is this mm-hmm. clusters of competence and availability? Right, 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 and that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. and you know. One of the things you mentioned earlier that's kind of universal to authors and screenwriters and thinking about and doesn't come easy early on, maybe, is an Mm -hmm. understanding of genre. You mentioned, like, okay, so I have this idea that I want to um, explore, right? And I have something I want to say with a strong point of view. And you mentioned that then it's a matter of picking the right genre to tell the story in. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was hoping you could get into that a little, explore that a little bit more, what you meant by that. Well, well, you know, it, it, you know, there's certain things about, you know, people write horror because they hear that horror gets made more easily. Production companies are always looking for the cheap horror film they can make for little money, and then they actually have a chance at making a lot of money back. So that's sort of looking at it from a sort of a, a business standpoint, mm-hmm. right? But what horror can do hypothetically in terms of genre is depending on what it is you want to explore in horror, you can alter the rules a little bit. You don't always have to stick to sort of real life rules of, of how things work. You Mm. can actually, you can stretch, you know, what's possible and that might suit that particular topic that you're looking to explore. Or, you know, if you want to strip people of, you know, cell phones and access to money and access to food, well, then maybe a post-apocalyptic film will suit your purposes because you can then just focus on what this person is going through to survive, right? So again, Mm. it depends on what it is you're trying to explore. You can adapt your genre accordingly. Basically, everything I write is drama, and then I gussy it up in a genre that I think suits that particular topic the best that's sort of almost sort of how i look at my at at my writing right Um, you know so the girls on the run the script about the three women in the 80s that are facing death and so forth if it was just about that it would be unbearable to watch so i'm not a comedy writer but of all my scripts that script needed comedy and lightness to to contrast the heavy topic that i was taking on Mm, yeah Uh, right you know like you don't want somebody saying i'm so sad having sad music playing and having a tear roll down their face that trifecta is deadly right <laughs> no subtext there's nothing of interest in that so if you have somebody saying i'm so sad how great would it be if they were smiling and they were at a wedding or whatever right already it pops much more so you've got to figure out what um how you best can highlight what it is you're trying to say by putting it into a a genre of of choice. And that just means having an open mind in the early stages of it. And, you know, everybody writes differently. Sometimes people write out of a vision they have and they create the story from this dream and this particular, you know, scene they had in mind. And, and then they're locked into a genre, I suppose, from that. But um, that's, this is just my, my two cents about it. Yeah. That seems very um, intentional and, and, 
I'm guessing in your journey, you've internalized a lot of scripts and genres just in the process of doing it. Um, have you noticed that different genre choices that you make would like beholden you to a certain sets of expected tropes to to make the movie work for viewers? Yeah, I mean, in horror in particular, you know, it was really difficult for me to write that script, probably of all my scripts, um, because ooh, all, most horror films, I would, good, I would say a good 95% fail for me in act three, because it's, it's easy to set up tone and mood and suspense and mystery and questions in act one and then explore mm. them in act two. It's really, really hard to then resolve most of those in act three and surprise you um, at the same time. And so most of the, sh the horror films I see just don't work on that level. And so in my own script, getting to act three and realizing, okay, I have to up the ante here. I have to, ooh, it has to be some blood here. I was like holding my nose as I wrote parts of act three, just because there were expectations I knew I had to meet for such a script to be viable. Uh -huh. And so, you know, um, there is a certain uh, thing in horror that you would have to meet in, depending on which script, if you're writing a psychological thing, that's one thing. But if you're writing a sort of a killer story, well, there's going to have to be a killing. There's going to have to be blood. There's going to have to be, you know, and if you go with supernatural, well, then you have to reveal what the supernatural being is. And so there's stuff that becomes hokey really quickly. Um, and then it's just a matter of trying to, retain the original truth you had in mind behind it and then still dive into those tropes and and embrace mm -hmm. them and just make them as different as you can at least try to reinvent you can't reinvent invent the, the the wheel but you can at least you know put some feathers on it and, and paint the wheel green or something you can there, there you have some options of trying to make old tropes feel a little fresher and does that mean you won't be writing a ton of cranking out the horror scripts? Well, I'm not. I'm no, not particularly. I'm not saying that at all, actually, because I do enjoy the the genre. I'm just saying I think if I were to write another one, mm. I might try to avoid writing sort of uh, a, a gore type script. Not that I look down on those. Plenty of people love those scripts, and it's, you know, everyone to each their own. But for me, I'd be much more interested in a sort of a psychological horror, maybe sort of more in the line of the son, the father type type thing. It's just more interesting for me. If it's more mental, it's much more interesting. Right. And so I was watching this <laughs> this this film before before we talked. This thing, right. It's not something to watch first thing in the morning, by the way. <laughs> Exactly. I had somebody sit behind me at a screening at some festival saying, what the fuck is going on? Can I say, I don't know if I can say the F word here. Sure. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I, I was like, what the fuck is happening? And I was like, well, that's interesting. And then they came out, they came around once they realized what was happening. But yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's dark. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, I think part of what makes something like that dark and difficult, right. Is if you can relate to that, right. If you know that that person or these people and you right. feel like it makes the pain right a little right. more edgy maybe right. we don't spend a lot of time talking about and living in the in, in that if we don't have to <laughs> right 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 for sure for sure so I mean, yeah. asking that then like 
kind of what was the point of do you remember your kind of strong point of view or what you were yeah. trying to get across or how you connected to yeah this work? i mean uh, so the, the the son of father is basically for those of you who don't know about it is it's a, sort of the 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 events on a, on a 10 year old's birthday have sort of dark and twisted consequences far into the future that's pretty much sort of the log line of the short film mm -hmm. um and i always had this i've always had this fascination with um the road to hell is paved with good intentions for me i mean i feel like we're living through it now i feel like a lot of people you know i don't want to get too political on this thing but i just want to say like i feel like we're going through it now a lot of people voted out of wanting something different and now we mm -hmm. find ourselves in this hell of a situation and i feel like had they just thought their vote through a little bit further we could have avoided this whole mess right and i think a lot of people you know um meant well and they just created this horrible situation so the road to hell is paved with good intentions is essentially what the son the father is built up around mm -hmm. a father makes a choice on behalf of the son and creates a horrible situation for other people out there, uh, essentially, without giving too much away. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so that was the, I knew that was what I wanted to explore. And it had been roaming around my head for a while. And then we had dinner with some friends of ours. And one of the guests, we started talking about parents and bad parents and blah, blah, blah. And this guy said, well, my mom is the worst of all. And everybody was like, oh, come on. How, can, how bad can she be? And I said, well, give me an example of how bad she was. And then he told me this example of he came home from school to find his mother dead on the floor. He didn't know what to do. He wet himself only to have her sit up and say, is that what you would do if you came home to find me dead? Mm -hmm. And everybody around the table went, oh, my God. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> you, yeah, you win. Your mom sucks. So, um, so I just remember like that feeling around the table of shock. Like nobody saw that story coming. Right. I thought, okay, this is kind of classic. This is really good. So I took that and then I ran with it. That's kind of the uh, opening. Yeah, essentially. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly. So I took that and just I invented all the rest. And he's he was very flattered in the end that I sort of based this film on, on his, <laughs> his story. <laughs> and he's he's perfectly well adjusted today, by the way. Was there anything you worried about while you were, you know, either writing it or when it got closer to being a reality? No, for sure. I was very worried. As I said in the beginning, when we mentioned it, I, I really, I really knew that it read very well on the page. I felt it was something that any, anybody who read it was like, oh my God, it's great. Uh, of people I trusted. Um, but I also knew deep down that sometimes just because it reads well on the page doesn't make it a good uh, film. And mm -hmm. this, this, twist upon a twist upon a twist upon a twist and then you jump sort of 10 years in time in a short film it's just hard to pull off so even filming it yeah. even even as i was editing the film i was not sure if i was going to end up with this very disjointed um film that wasn't going to sort of flow and a big battle i had was how do i do that jump in time in a way that sort of um doesn't just feel, oh, and here's a jump in time. So I, I wanted sort of a very slow transition. And I was like, how can I show that? So I came up with this really funky shot of sort of myself essentially sort of changing from- The beard. The, yeah, the beard. exactly. Yeah, clean, clean face to beard. And sort of instead of putting in a title card 10 years later, it had this general sense of 
something weird is happening and what is it? And then we become clear that, oh, this is much, much later now. Um, and so for me, it just served, you know, uh, we, 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 we got to experience some time passing, but it also changed 10 years. So there was just, so there were challenges with, with trying to make it flow. And I wasn't sure if it was going to work up until we had the first screening. Mm. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, it, it's like that, isn't it? Right. We don't ever really know what's going to work until somebody else pays for it or, Yeah, I mean, well, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you just sometimes I know with my writing, there comes a time when I know this script is excellent. Now, I feel like this script is really excellent. It's ready to go. Mm -hmm. Other times, not so sure. So there are instances, I think when I'm, I'm able to sort of step back and go, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can always change and fix things. And wherever comes on board, things will change anyway. But it's, it's solid. It's really where it needs to be. Uh, and then other times with this film, for instance, and actually my previous uh, short film, the sci-fi, um, I just I wasn't sure until the very end. Mm. And I mean, you know, some people still argue they they don't like the movie. Who knows? Uh, but to me, it works. So that's that's all I really yeah. care about. And I guess the other half of that question is like, for any of your work, like, was there ever a moment you had like where you had something deeply personal? Or it was like scary to reveal as your truth. Well, all writing, I mean, is extremely personal, right? As an actor, it's a lot easier to say, well, I'm speaking somebody else's words. I'm just accessing the emotion of that. So it's a lot easier to push away from you, which is why I think for a long time I was totally at ease acting and I was very not at ease doing a speech of my nephew's, you know, graduation or something, I'd get super nervous because that's, of course, me talking, right? So uh, that took me a while to figure out why that was happening. But in terms of writing, everything is incredibly personal because it comes right out of my head. And there's no one else that can that I can blame for anything that's on the page. So that is vulnerability one-on-one. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything that's on that page came out of my brain, right? So if people have a problem with it or think that this character is like my sister or if that's probably about your marriage or whatever, well, you know, I can confirm or deny it if I feel like it, but at the end of the day, people are going to think what they think. Right. Um, and they think, oh, that's definitely about his marriage. <laughs> and I'm like, I can say no all day long and they're still going to think it's about my marriage. Well, then there you go. You know, it came out of somewhere. Yeah. And I imagine, like I can speak from personal experience, there's two sides to this. One is before I was comfortable being in my own skin as a human being, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then any art I created was much more uncomfortable right. and vulnerable. And I might've actually obscured it more, right? done more, you know, exactly. might've weakened the craft by trying right. to right, right. hide. Exactly. And, th- and that comes down to this, this, this notion of, of having more confidence or being a little more experienced about it and sort of owning who we are, knowing more about who we are as individuals, the more you sort of own that, I think the stronger off you are right. as any artist. Right. And it seems like, I don't know, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, we both probably encounter a lot of people early in the journey, right? Who were looking for encouragement or to learn from success of others. And, and it feels like foundational to transcending right like mm-hmm. we're achieving mm-hmm. mastery in an art mastering ourselves is is a central part of that before our best art comes out 
I absolutely agree. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I applaud you for, you know, your own journey and being <laughs> Thank you. more comfortable in your skin and going to take <laughs> control of your career. And Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things I say to people, there's nothing that I'm not, I'm not comfortable talking about. Hmm. I mean, you know, I, I'm happy to discuss anything. You know, sometimes people are like, oh, I don't want to, yeah, I can't talk about this or I don't want to see this or anything is up for grabs as far as I'm concerned. And then, you know, I can still have strong feelings about it, but there's nothing that I want to sort of avoid really, mm. you know, just because it's not comfortable. I find that so bizarre. Um, and that's again, one of my favorite thematic of mine, I think in my work, I just, I just, I don't understand it. And I would, I would love to sort of understand that, that part. Uh, what is it in human beings that, that makes people uncomfortable with facing the unknown or whatever. It's just fascinating. Right. Well, for people who want to learn more about you, how can they do so? Um, well, you know, I have a Instagram page, Lucas Hassel, L-U-K-A-S-H-A-S-S-E-L. I have a website, also www.lucashassel.com. Um, I have a Facebook page. Um, that's probably a, a Twitter, you know, all the social media stuff. You can find me on there for sure. Great. And then The Son the Father is on Amazon Prime. Yes, uh, it's on various outlets, Amazon Prime amongst one, and also my sci-fi short film, Into the Dark, um, which will always be my love child. I, I, I mm. love that film so much, which was the first thing I did. Um, that's also on there as well. So uh, okay, great. I'd like to check that out too, Into the Dark. Well, I have to see your love child. Yes, you have to see my love child. That was that was created in my fifth floor apartment i carried up the set and did it with my dp with like two people very different to this on the father but it was like it was it was incredibly helpful in terms of um getting me out there on a festival circuit and a sci-fi film gets a lot of attention just by its genre and it was a it was really an incredibly rewarding uh, adventure to make that film great well lucas it's been a pleasure having you on the show Likewise, Ethan, thank you for having me. Super, super fun. I, I, as these interviews go, I always feel awkward that I don't uh, ask questions back, but I know that's not, that's not the format of how this works. But like, just know that if you and I were to have a coffee someday, I'd be very interested in hearing about you as well. I look forward to that, Lucas. <laughs> Sounds good. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.